0: This is the Langpreneur podcast where each week we interview experts in the language learning industry who will show you how to turn your passion for languages into a profitable online business so that you can create an independent career doing something you love. I'm your host, Jan van der Aa. Hey everybody, it's Jan here. You are listening to the Langpreneur Podcast. Really glad that you're here with us today because we have another exclusive interview for you. Today's guest on the podcast is Peter Galante. Now, Peter started a podcast back in 2004 and he called it Japanese Pod 101. Now, in this exclusive interview, you will learn more about how Peter does, well, you will learn everything actually about how Peter turned this podcast into a massive language learning empire called Innovative Languages. They employ 60 to 70 full-time employees and they serve millions of people from all over the world. Um, Now, Innovative Language offers content. Uh, They also have paid courses for 34 languages. And they have over 10 million subscribers amongst their YouTube channels. They've also built the largest library of language learning content in the world. And they have over 1 billion lessons delivered. So, well, as you can imagine, there's lots of things that we're going to learn today. I was really looking forward to this interview. And, um, well, let me just give you a quick overview of what you're going to learn in this interview today, first of all, we're going to talk about Peter's well, Peter's background story. How did he get started and why? We're going to talk about how to overcome the fear of selling. The key to innovative languages, massive growth. We're also going to talk about how and when innovative language decides to add new languages. Should we build traffic organically or should we buy ads? We're going to talk about that as well. Should we go for high volume and low prices or high prices with low volume? You know, as a lengthener. Also, something we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the importance of having a mentor. And finally, some of the most important lesson that, lessons that Peter has learned building the company. So this is going to be... A, a super valuable podcast episode so make sure to pay attention i really enjoyed this interview you can probably hear that from the uh, from the audio i hope that you're gonna enjoy it too here is my interview with peter galante hey hello peter welcome to the Langpreneur podcast before we start with this interview first tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, how it all got started
1: Well, first, thank you so much for having me. Uh, Very, very big fan of the show. Um, I think what you're doing is really, really great. In fact, I wish I had something like this when I started. Um, You know, I guess we can go back to 2004. Wow, it seems so long ago. But um, if we back up to 2004, uh, that's when I started uh, a small podcast called uh, Japanese Pod 101. And... uh, at that time, podcasts were just getting started. Do you remember the first iPad with the click wheel?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that, yeah.
1: So, um, <laughs> yeah, so that, that gives it the frame, like a frame of reference, right? Um, so um, when we started, it was December, and uh, when we released the first podcast, getting it up there, and at the time, it was just myself. Mm -hmm. So I was uh, the producer, I was uh, the so-called talent, Um, I was doing it all one shop stop in the morning, I would show up at the office at uh, 8am, write the script, I would try to find someone to appear in the show with me, then we would go record it, come back, edit it, and if all went well, I would be in time to catch the last train at 1am. Whoa. Get home, uh, wake up, repeat, do the same thing. Um, and we were doing it for an audience about 300 people. Yeah. Um, two weeks in, someone, I don't know who this you know, amazing person was, but they stuck us on the front of Apple's iTunes podcasts. So we yeah. went from 300 a day to 1 million a month.
0: <laughs> well, in a matter of what? Of a month?
1: In a month. In a month. And so, wait a bit, because what 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 happened?
0: How how did that happen?
1: So, my best guess is that there was uh, someone working at Apple, um, someone working in iTunes that liked the Japanese language, very into Japan, perhaps, or just um, maybe appreciated the podcast. <laughs> Again, wishful thinking, but, yeah. um, <laughs> and I think they said, Hey, this is good. Let's, let's, let's show what education perhaps can do. So they kind of put us up there with uh, CNN <laughs> ESPN. <laughs> so yeah, I think perhaps before their manager kind of caught what was going on, uh, by that time, we had already caught on, and that shot us to the top of uh, the education podcast
0: yeah and just let 's talk a little bit more about what you were doing at the time um because this was in two thousand and five. Were you already living in Japan because you live in Japan now right
1: correct um yeah why this did you is
0: this a podcasts? was this i mean sounds like you were very serious about this from the beginning, like was it your goal to build this multimedia language learning empire or was this just something for tell us a little bit about like your the situation you were in back in 2005
1: yeah okay let's uh back up i can't believe uh how many years ago that is Um, but so if we back up at that time i was actually studying for a phd in economics which as you know has absolutely nothing to do with language or language learning but um I was very interested in languages Um, that early in my life I wasn't but when I came to Japan um, so in middle school and high school I studied um, Italian and I studied French but I was not a particularly good student Um, and actually in retrospect my teachers were very good it's just that um, didn't take it so seriously but once I came to Japan um, which is a very another quite interesting story but um, In the early 90s, we had a Japanese exchange student come to live with us. And through getting to know her, I took an interest in Japan. And when I went to university, I studied Japanese. And then I thought at that time that Japanese companies were really doing well in the U.S. and around the world. I thought that I would study, go learn, do a year in Japan, come back and get a job in New York where I'm from. But uh, one thing led to another. And um, here we are. But uh, at the time when I started the podcast, I was studying for a PhD in economics, actually in Japanese. So
0: Yeah. Oh, in Japanese. Yeah. And the podcast was this just a side project in the beginning? C-
1: correct. So if we kind of tie the Italian, French, not so interested in language, or not really applying myself to the Japanese, in learning Japanese, I was like, this is really much harder than the Italian I remember. So I went back and I started studying Italian. I'm like this is a lot easier. I could read actually the Roman letters. So um, my next language after that was Chinese. And at the time my wife, I married and she's Chinese. So mm. these new podcasts started to come out and the way of learning was just so incredible. Yeah. I remember how I learned Japanese and this was such an interesting approach a 10 minute program with someone who'd learn the language with someone who teaches the language to get the best of both worlds. And in addition, you can bring people, real conversations that were going on in Tokyo Mm. around the world. And it kind of just blew my mind that you can access this content that was not available when I was studying. Much like your podcast wasn't available to a langpreneur when they're starting their business. Yeah.
0: So this was in 2005. Wasn't this just the beginning of the, uh, the of the world of podcasting? Like, where, like exactly. when you started, were there already other Japanese podcast, podcasts out there or, or not at all?
1: There wasn't one that was being done in a professional manner. So I, I believe there probably were a few, but I, I think this comes down to uh, the production level mm. and the frequency and just getting the content out there kind of continuously. So I kind of went a little overboard. I was kind of doing it by myself, but... Yeah. How many podcasts do you think I was producing a month? 15-minute shows based around a conversation.
0: 15-minute shows.
1: Uh, 15, one five. 15 so how many do you think I was producing a month?
0: Oh man. yeah, well, I guess if you do one per day, uh, 30 would be a nice goal, no?
1: We think alike. So, yeah, we were, I was producing 30 a day, but I think maybe, oh, sorry, no, 30 a month, 30 <laughs> but i think you can relate to the amount of effort that goes into that yeah yeah a lot so but it was so fascinating and once you know the feedback comes in you put something out there and you know you don't get any feedback it's kind of discouraging but then the feedback starts to come in in the form of emails and reviews. And all of a sudden you realize you're reaching people. And then you watch the numbers start to climb up yeah. and that fuels you. That really, that, the passion at first was very, very important to getting this off the ground, right? This liftoff phase. Yeah, exactly. So you,
0: you really had a jumpstart there with with the podcast. I mean, from 300 to a million downloads, <laughs> in just a month so what happened after the first month i mean you saw i guess you saw all the statistics and you start re- started receiving more emails getting more feedback and and then what you were still studying at university is that right
1: so what did still, you do now? still studying at university showing up for classes and uh yeah needless to say my work deteriorated so so yeah back to 2005 podcast taking off emails pouring in Everything is going great, and you know what was going up the most? Uh, no, costs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting when you think about traffic, right? It's this goal that we all want, but then once we have it, there are all these costs associated with it, and you might not necessarily know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's actually a time I remember very very fondly, but you know, it's your first goal is traffic. And then once you get traffic, you don't really have time to celebrate because now what do you do with the traffic? Yeah. How do you come up with a strategy to monetize or do you even monetize? Yeah. One of the biggest hurdles that I think you have to jump early on is actually asking someone for their hard earned money. Mm-hmm. And If you're that's not used to it. It's difficult. I mean, yeah, what, what do you think, right? Yeah
0: So how do you and overcome that and what was like the
1: The action that you took or how do you make it for sale? This is a great question. So for everyone out there listening, um, you know, I want you to think, you know I, I think, you know, one of the biggest mistakes that I, I could share with you is a lot of times We would think for the customers or think for the people like uh, you can't ask them to do that they're expecting this So, but how do we get over that hurdle? And um, I'll I'll touch on this a bit later, but I think when it comes to this, I think uh, mentors or someone who's been down the road or someone who can help you a bit kind of understand. That's why I think what you're doing is so important. It's a mindset and you know, you do it. And I mean, you're helping to get people into the pool. And that's what I think is one of the most important things. I think the work you're doing is invaluable, to be honest, because I, <laughs> having people out there saying it's okay to do this, you know, one of the things that I, that I noticed, one of the products that you have is that um, you actually help people get over some of these hurdles. And it's invaluable because there's a lot of people I met who have top-notch products that just could never ask for the money And then they were never able to turn this into the business. So I believe the question was, how did I get myself to do this? And what helped me was if people support me with my money, as long as I'm really deep down reinvesting the money to make the product we deliver better, then that's what really helped me feel better. We have money to pay staff. So now we can bring you the next feature. We can bring you the next best thing to help you. Our number one mission is to give you the best learning experience possible. Mm. And those things, I think you can probably relate. They take, they do take money.
0: Yeah. So, that's So So, when did you, you make your first sale? When did you start developing your first product and how did you go about selling? You just say, hey, by the way, we have a product, go to my website to buy it. Or like what was the, the strategy behind the, the sale? Yeah, you were receiving a lot of emails at the time, right? So I guess you already had an idea of what the people wanted. Tell us a little bit about that process.
1: No idea. To be honest, zero idea. I'm not gonna, and I had taken business courses, zero clue. So, um, if we go back to 2005 in December, um, that's when we started the podcast. Um, 2005 is uh, so January. So did I mix my dates up to 2004 December when we started? 2005 January things started to take off, and when things took off, I reached out to a friend who we went to school together, middle school together, and I said, "I'm doing this project. Would you be interested?" And he joined. And if he did not join, I would probably just still have a podcast. So he took care of the technical side of things, which allowed me to take care of the content creation side of things. So January, all of a sudden, the volume, people start to download like crazy. And now we're increasing the server space to to handle the downloads. We're making sure that we're products going out and we're improving the features. We're adding lesson notes and we're um, answering comments and, we're taking care of the community, which is a very, very big time, Very, very takes a large amount of time. And also, we're improving the product, the layout of the PDF notes. Mm. So this is January, February. We have to hire people. So we have to make two or three hires. Yeah. So now the costs are really increasing.
0: Yeah.
1: And we only start to talk about monetizing in March. And we have a month-long discussion. It's not like, okay, guys, we have a product. Let's sell it. Again, I'll take you back to the mindset of someone who's doing this by themselves
0: yeah.
1: or with a small team. Mm. And Guys, listen, we have a brand new product. Come. This is going to help you learn faster. You're just not used to selling. You're not used to marketing and you're not used to asking for that sale. So yeah. it took us a month of discussion yeah. before finally in um, you know, April, we, we flipped the switch. Yeah.
0: And what happened over the, let's say, later that same year?
1: Well, I just want to focus one more part on the first few emails that came in. And, you know, the first few emails that came in were very supportive. And then you don't forget the ones that are quite negative. So, you know, there's going to be a small percentage of people who are angry that you're taking something of value away and asking for a price for it. Mm. So our compromise was that every one of our podcasts that have ever gone out has been free for two weeks. So if you've been subscribed to our stream, you could have at any point downloaded that for free. Mm-hmm. And then after two weeks, goes behind the paid wall. Yeah. But yeah, be prepared for a little bit of backlash, but by far the majority of the people were overwhelmingly supportive. Yeah. They want you to succeed. So if you're out there making great content, if you're out there with an idea, you know, you, You have to understand that money coming in will give you more tools to make what you're doing better. Mm. And you have to understand, you have to see past this. And if you want to give stuff away, we kept giving away for free because deep down, that's how we started. So we've kept that freemium model. So we still provide a tremendous amount of content for free. But, you know, there are these different steps or hurdles and you know, ma- mailing or talking to, you, I'm sure your community or this is, this is critical to that, that mindset.
0: Yeah. Well, port one-on-one or maybe I should, how do you, how do you call it yourself? Language port one-on-one, right? Or you call it innovative languages. What's the difference between the two? Or is there a... <laughs> Well,
1: the the clear difference is we're not quite, we're not very good at branding. <laughs> <laughs> Um so a lot of again, it has to come with it wasn't our first choice, but to be honest, it was one of the domain names we could secure mm-hmm. so we we started with this language pod one o one and then we switched to class one o one at the time that was those were the seven ninety nine I guess they were still seven ninety <laughs> nine but those were the podcast. those those were the free domains that we could lock down mm-hmm. so You know, we wanted to go with different names, but that's what we could afford um, at that time. So the the company name is Innovative Language Learning, and um, our first product was uh, Japanese Pod 101, and then we scaled that to uh, 33 more sites. So in total, we have 34 websites. 34.
0: The time? 34, Yeah. Well, you guys, it's 2020 now, you guys managed to turn it into a huge business. I mean, we just had a brief discussion before we started this interview. When people think about language learning companies or language learning apps, they might think about the Rosetta Stone and, uh, you know, Babbel, Duolingo. But if you go to YouTube and you search for learn Spanish, learn Farsi, learn Norwegian, like, like you basically dominate the whole space, right? So you managed to grow this this little podcast, well, actually, it was already quite big after one month, but you managed to turn that into a, a huge thing. So let's, thought, let's talk a little bit more about um, growth, because how did this all happen? Was it just organically or like how, how much time were you spending thinking about how to grow the business? Is this something that happened naturally or very intentionally?
1: This is, this is a great question. Um, and a lot of roads do lead back to money. And, um, you know, money, again, is a tool. And um, you have to be very, very careful um, with this relationship with money. But what ultimately you want to surround yourself with is top-notch talent. Mm. And talent is, a you know, kind of an equation of money in, in many ways. So there, if you have, and where I'm going with this, is if you're funded and you have money, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily the best thing. You could not know how to use it well, but it allows you to acquire talent. Mm-hmm. You can see the resources that you want and you can target them or you can uh, hire talented resources in your network. Mm-hmm. If you don't have money, it's challenging in a whole different way Mm. you know when i first started and i was sitting there by myself on these december nights and i'm thinking about when i studied for my phd and you know i took lots of business courses and you know how do you find good talent Mm. right i mean what what does the textbook say you call hr yeah
0: (laughs) there is no hr
1: yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, who do you pull in? And I think this is actually a really good question and maybe very useful information for someone starting out. We were did had a lot of success in working with the community members. So you have to be very careful you don 't want to um, exploit or being being perceived as exploiting you don't want to ask community members for free work, but also at the same time, you don't have money. So, Or you have a little bit of money. So you have to try to strike that good balance between finding the super talented people who want to contribute and help you grow and be part of something and the people who just want to contribute a little bit and then kind of go on their way. But your community could be one of your most important ways to find someone who can help take you to that next step. Yeah. So by community membership, basically say, you mean the people who are your audience? Correct. Yes, correct. So if you have a YouTube channel, the people uh, commenting, if you have a website, the people emailing you, you can even be uh, clever in a way and set up certain tests. And if someone does that test in your mind, that's like, we did that. That's actually, so I'll try to tie this together. That's how we actually grew the sites. We chose our next site, not by what we thought would be most profitable, but we found someone Mm -hmm. through a test. Who we hired and became a full time person because they completed an impossible task. <laughs> yeah, I see.
0: So, what was like the first hire that you made the first year? Was it someone for content creation? Was it marketing? Was it what was the first thing that you needed?
1: And um, so, we focused on, uh, we've always been a content first company in a way. Uh, A good piece of content uh, can go uh, many different ways. Um, If you think of a piece of paper and something I like to think of, a good story that's written is translated into many languages. A good story will transcend. So if you have a good piece of content, it will do well for SEO. It will will do well for your podcast. It will do well for video. Mm -hmm. So having that that base piece of very strong content gives you lots of um, options in the distribution channels, you kind of want to choose. Mm -hmm. So um, we had focused on content. So we found a very good content creator. And when the person came on, we hired them to create a piece of content. And the gentleman did such a great job that we hired him instantly. We made him a project manager where we hired him for Korean. And what do you think the project we tasked him with was?
0: To to duplicate what you already had in Japanese, but then for Korean,
1: you got it exactly. Yeah, so
0: he, he, this is the format. Now go and do the same thing, but then for Korean.
1: Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> it's. Yeah, was, I, yeah. <laughs> I would swear you were in on that meeting because that's exactly how the meeting
0: was. <laughs> ah. Well, that was a good guess
1: then, yeah. <laughs> okay, but he passed the test. With flying colors. Incredible. One of the most talented people we've worked with. Oh, sorry, go on. You already knew how
0: the numbers were going to work out, right? Because you, had, you knew that it could work for Port 101. You knew that, okay, if so many people are listening, if we, if we deliver good quality content, and if we have, I don't know, a million listeners every single month, and a percentage of them buys then we're easily gonna make enough money to hire that Korean guy. Is that like?
1: Yeah, it's very, very, you got it.
0: Yeah. So, and this, when was this, after how many months?
1: Uh, that was after uh, the first year. After so we tended to move fast, yeah.
0: So within the first year, 100% focused on Japanese and once that was a massive success, success you basically took that blueprint and you apply that to to all the other languages. Correct. What were the most the most important things that you've learned from that first year?
1: Well, I think there 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 are a few things, um, and um, I, I was coming from an academic background. Uh, I didn't have a lot of real world um, work experience, so. It was a challenge on every single front. Um, And when you're pushing really, really hard, sleep deprivation (laughs) can be quite challenging too. So I think if you look back and if we kind of go through these initial steps, uh, one, you have a thought. Try to make something and make something good enough. Once you make it good enough, share it. You're going to get feedback to help you make it better every step of the way. That's that, that first step. So get something out there. Any feedback, even negative, is good feedback. Promise yourself and justify it to yourself and get yourself through some of the negative criticism and some of the hard nights and some of the times that you want to go out, but you're, 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 you're grinding away with the fact that you're making this better for someone to improve. So always think of what, how you can help someone else and keep pushing from there, get it out there, improve it, constantly improve it. And don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid to ask when it comes that point for other people's hard earned money. You know, so many people shoot themselves in the foot by saying it's not good enough yet. It needs a couple more revisions. If you, if you hear yourself saying that, <laughs> stop and go try and sell something because you, you're gonna, the cycle will never end. I mean, you probably have some really great insight here because I mean, this is, this is why what you're doing is so important. What, what do you think?
0: You tell your audience about, you know, you give your audience a date. You say, okay, by this date, I'm gonna launch the course. And then you just need to get out of there. And the big benefit there is that you can get feedback so you actually know what your customers care about. And you can listen mm-hmm. to them. And then based on that feedback, st- start making uh, corrections or improvements in your course rather than making improvements based on what you think should be improved. Now, also, once you start selling, you actually there's money coming in so that you can actually hire people to, to, to create the course for you so that you don't have to do it all yourself and that you can focus on, I don't know, the next product, for example. There's so many benefits there of, Starting out, you know, just get the products out early and um, make them better over time because, as you said, it's never going to be perfect.
1: Well said. So we're going to make something. We're going to get it out there. We're going to incorporate the feedback. Then we're going to ask for support Mm. in the form of help or in the form of monetary compensation money. From there, we're going to use that money to reinvest in the product. And what I learned now, though, is once you manage to get through those hurdles, all the skills you've built there, everything you've done well, forget 90% of it because you got to reinvent yourself again. (laughs) (laughs) Now you have to focus on marketing to customers taking care of customers managing different people which in itself is a whole new skill set so it's almost like you're a snail shedding right the shell constantly and trying to grow into a new one mm. so the latter part of that first year was spent again learning how to manage learning how to manage my expectations as someone pushing this who it's their baby and their passion versus a contractor who might be outsourced somewhere and they want to go out for a drink on a Friday night. Our expectations are not aligned. Mm. So you just have to, if you can, you know, just take a few steps back and, you know, calm yourself and realize that expectations will not always be aligned. And Mm. the importance of that is it'll keep your stress level low because one of my favorite uh, sayings is uh, (laughs) it take it's based on, um, I forget the gentleman who said it, but it, it took me 10 years to become an overnight success, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard that one before, yeah. So you, you have money coming and now you can support a certain amount of staff, a certain amount of creation. You've gotten to that next level, but ne- next level might not be until a year later. So you've got to keep grinding away and these tools will help you. And At the same time, you have to grow your skill set.
0: Uh, how long did it take you to get to a level where you could actually live off the business? Was this directly after the first month or after, after March, I guess, the next year,
1: once you started selling? Okay. So to get to the black took over two and a half years. Okay. And we bootstrapped. Um, we had taken some initial angel investment. And we've also took, um, in form of uh, someone who joined, someone who was part of the company. And they paid us mostly in office space and uh, use of their resources so they had employees that Uh, we could use to do the recordings yeah so rather than giving us money to invest Um, but you know when you get to a million you have the team grows a little faster so it took us longer to catch up but yeah it was two and a half years to get to a break-even point bootstrapping it meaning everything was reinvested taking minimal salaries which were way below what we could have Received in the labor market. Mm-hmm. So um, So you worked with
0: angel investors Is this something that you would recommend to others who are, who are starting out or why did you decide that you needed investments?
1: Well, this person was um, Someone we had known. Um, so I was actually working my way through university. So this person knew that I was going to um, a university for my PhD and she knew that I had um, an entrepreneurial mind and I pitched an idea to her a year earlier that kind of took off uh, somewhere else and um, I noticed that she had invested in some uh, given them space in her office. Yeah. So um, I think if I, I think it's a very personal decision, uh, but I think people should be exploring all their options. What I do recommend, though, is that if you do take on any type of investment, it's just not money, um, that it's someone who brings a certain uh, expertise or some value. For us, the value that she, the, tr- the value she really had was the office space in downtown Tokyo, yeah. which made it easier to hire interns who could work in downtown Tokyo later and um, she had access to bilingual speakers. So the value provided there was not so much the money, because to be honest, when I first started, I wouldn't even know what to do with the money. Yeah. I might've blown it all on Google ads and not known how to make that back. So mm. this, this, this expertise, this experience is worth its weight in gold when you're first starting out, yeah. in my experience. Mm.
0: Yeah, so let's talk a bit more about growth. Did it all happen organically or very was it all very intentionally with you know with marketing or paid ads or like how did language one-on-one become what it is today?
1: So yeah, content first. Um, also I think one of our best strategies was that anytime a new digital market opened, we would be first to market. So there are iBooks, we're making iBooks. Um, applications we 're making applications google play we 're going to be there um, we 're at the point now where it 's very hard for us at our size to be nimble enough to jump into all of these markets especially with thirty four products so I, my advice to people who are starting out like um, anytime a new market opens or something takes off, try to be there first and try to go in really strong. Um, I've seen people do incredible things with Instagram, writing Japanese calligraphy, gathering hundreds of thousands of fans. Um, so you really want to try to think how your product could scale fast because at your size, if you're small, one to five people, your biggest advantage is your nimbleness at this point. Mm. Right? If you try and do a podcast now, you're probably going to get drowned out. Application, you're going to spend $100,000 and you're, you're going to get zero pop. But if you can take that money and get into some of these markets that are constantly open, it's constantly changing. Yeah. I think that could be very advantageous to you.
0: Yeah. So the main strategy of your company has been content creation started with a podcast. Then later also YouTube, right? What were like, correct. Some other so, what were like the platforms
1: that have contributed the most to the success of the company today? So, um, Originally we started with the podcast, the application was huge. We were one of the first uh, language, pod- language products inside of the Apple store. And that gave us tremendous growth over the years until the competition heats up. Each market, you start out with a little time to yourself. And that's when you really have to get the most amount of uh, customers. And um, so application was next. But at each point, each one was very good for us. Um, Apple Books was very strong for us for quite some time until the traditional players moved in and forced us out. Mm. Um, YouTube has been tremendous. And YouTube is now um, probably one of our biggest lead generators. So if I back up a bit. several uh probably early maybe 2012 we finally started paid search so notice that's seven years into our business where we actually then move towards uh paying for the marketing yeah. until then um you know building facebook things organically building social organically and each one takes a massive amount of time but if you're first to market you can gather a following yeah so Right now, YouTube is our biggest source of leads. Yeah. So eventually,
0: you made a transition to go from just organic to also um, pay for traffic. Do you think that you should have done that earlier, or was that the right time to start? Or like, how do you see organic traffic versus paid traffic? Conversion is lower, I guess. Like, how do you experience? Do you think that we should all be doing that? We should all be running ads.
1: So um, again, I think it's 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 down to your expertise. Um, you know, as if someone, you know, I, I, I'll say it again. I'm a bit bit in with your podcast. You've had some people on who are marketers first, and those people probably should be playing around with paid stuff. But if you're a content creator first or a language learner first, like I was a content creator first, you want to start with not paid. These are different skill sets and. They each play into each other. Mm -hmm. So if it's content first, stick with your content. Don't worry about paid for a little while. Refine your product, get a product out there, test the funnels, and then you can then optimize. And once you're finally optimized, that's when you want to start paying for that traffic. If you're a marketer and you're working backwards and you understand everything we just said, then you want to start with that and then potentially work on the content.
0: Yeah very interesting T- tell us a little bit more about the company today like what does your working day look like you have an office um you work with many people do you have staff do you mainly work with freelancers tell us a little bit about the uh the business
1: and um, the daily operations sure um so before i start um you know everyone taking this uh lang-preneur, I-, I love this word everyone taking this journey, you know, just take a moment to enjoy it. Um, it. It might seem like you're, you're against the world right now, the mountain's so high in front of you, but you're doing it and just try and appreciate the journey for a second because you've taken the step or if you're thinking of taking the step and you do it, congratulations. I mean, this is like, you have to enjoy these moments. Some of the moments from 2004 and five, those are my most Those are my most cherished moments. These days, I have legal documents, accounting stuff. It's fun in a different way, but um, my typical day is the Tokyo office has about 35 full-time employees. So there's a lot of HR issues. Um, There's still fun content things we're doing, Um, but we have about 35 people and everyone needs, um, not everyone, we have a lot of super talented uh, managers, that are driving products, but you have to check these products. um, And even the ones that we completely trust, they're still pushing out products. And then once the product's ready, we have to work, coordinate and liaison with the marketing team. So a lot of these things are um, kind of like in the movies. They they now take time. Curriculums take, they used to take a day. (laughs) Now they take six months for a proposal, the teacher to test it. The CFR or the CFR expert to approve it to come back, we go back and forth over the keywords that are compared against the vocabulary, so it's run much like a publisher now, hmm. so there are the different departments interacting it's still super fun, and I can still pop into the studio to do recordings, but it's not like I have the complete creative control that I used to have, which was hmm. so much fun
0: yeah
1: so. You know it's um we have 35 people in tokyo we have about um 60 full-time 60 to 70 full-time people working around the world each day so there's a lot to coordinate products coordination for rolling things out so how do you des- uh,
0: how do you decide if it's a good time to add a new language i mean you're offering 34 languages if i'm not mistaken like when is the time for language number
1: 35 yeah we've slowed down um a bit uh it's interesting each language has its own story um we had met with uh through uh the community i had become friends with uh, someone in private equity and he said okay you know these are your eight languages that are going to make money and the rest i don't know about um but we wanted to do them because we were passionate about them the bulgarian stories i had lots of bulgarian friends at university here in tokyo so we did not do that for uh we didn't, we, we were never, uh, our return on investment the horizons, I think 2057, last time we looked, but um, it's a beautiful language. Um, each language is beautiful in its own way. So we felt it should be out there yeah. and it should have a presence these days. Um, so we've stopped adding new languages and kind of focused on consolidating and thinking about the brand a bit so that we can tie everything together in people's minds so they know that the pod 101 the class 101 is part of a system and it's just not a podcast anymore there's you use the podcast by itself but then you go to the site to verify and assess what you've learned because one of the interesting things too um, that I love about your product is you have that human component right
0: Mm, yeah yeah we always talk about that yeah a, and
1: to have a face. Or the face. And also, you know, it's okay for you, someone to listen to your courses, but when you talk to them, you can understand that they really grab that concept. Yeah. And we feel that's the future of language. So our system now, you use the audio and the video content as instructional material, and then that kind of drives you back to the site so you can test whether you're actually getting it and retaining it. And that helps you verify like, hey, how's your time being spent? And that's kind of what we've really moved like our product towards. It's like trying to get you the most amount of content and the most effective way to help you learn as fast as possible.
0: Okay, so we also have um, a Facebook group actually, and this is for our listeners. And yesterday it's called Langpreneur Events. So if you are listening to the podcast and you want to connect to other like minded Langpreneurs, go to that Facebook group because every now and then I pop up there. And um, that's what I did yesterday. And I said that I was, I announced that I had an interview with you today and I asked the readers if they had any questions. So I have a few questions here from our, uh, from our listeners which I wanted to ask you. So a question here, should lampooners go for high volume and low prices, mass market, or for low volume and high prices, premium market? And how do you make that decision?
1: I think um, if we go back and I think each business and um, each person driving the business has different skills, um, different backgrounds, and can offer different things. And uh, it's a big part of why um, I think businesses will succeed or unfortunately not make it. Mm -hmm. So for this question, it's it's very interesting. First is, what are your strengths? Are you good at marketing? Are you, or do you have a high value product? Mm -hmm. What are you trying to get across? How big is your team? How much time do you have to invest in this? The higher the cost, the more detail-oriented you need to be that higher-level customer service mm-hmm. that needs to be woven into the product. Yeah. So if you have a smaller team, you might be able to do that. Um, on the other side, you know, I think if you have the team and you can get the exposure and things are taking off, it's a, it's a good way to go. But my, my kind of proposal is that I think it's more of a question of where you start. So if you start your business on the high end and you're, you're, you have a product for high end customers, then you probably want to start, if it takes off, you want to start moving the other way and mm-hmm. vice versa. If you, if you start on the other side and you have high volume, you probably want to carve out a segment of your users and try to go for a higher value product. Mm-hmm. So I think it's more of a question of where you start and, of course, the time in it. You know, the more you learn, you're going to understand, it, right? When you first start a high volume business, you cannot start doing segmentation when you have 50 customer emails to take care of because you have to treat your customers with the uh, like the highest level of respect.
0: Yeah, is it also isn't it also a matter of testing different different price points and see what the audience wants and how much they are willing to to pay for your courses and then
1: do more of what works. I a hundred percent. But I think it comes down to that question of how much time do you have? How much time does your team, does your, do you and your team have at this stage to do the testing, right, and the segmentation, different things, when you're trying to just keep the lights on and get, go through the daily task sheet, right?
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Another question here, um, and we already briefly talked about this. So, how did the company grow? Was it all organic growth from the podcast? Well, we talked about that. Or was it the marketing? And what was the process of figuring out the marketing? What are some of the marketing activities that you do these days? I mean, obviously you're everywhere. You've lots of free materials on all the platforms. Um, Like, are you also doing like Facebook ads and I don't know, YouTube ads?
1: How do you figure out what works? So um, I'll try to break this into the two parts. So when we first started, um, again, it was, we, we, we made compelling content to try and show up on the different searches, right? And if we move that to today, you you probably want to target Instagram or some of these other areas where you can really grow fast. Um, I'll I'll cite one really great example. This woman, she makes calligraphy courses for Japanese kanji, and every day she she writes on beautiful paper with gold writing, and she's got hundreds of thousands of people watching these videos. Mm. So she invested her money in the better camera, in the better paper, in the pen, right? She iterated her way up. Yeah. Um, you know, even organic growth takes money because you're investing it into the content. Yeah. So um, we, it came easier for us to make that good content. Um, on the flip side, when we roll out a new language, uh, because we have the expertise now, we're able to identify and we have a budget for the paid marketing. Mm-hmm. um but you know that that costs money to get that experience you can have your google certificate for adwords but you know i think you 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 really learn you, you really kind of you really learn what's going on ten thousand dollars into the trenches or five thousand dollars into the trenches right yeah. when it's like oh my gosh i'm not making money I, I better watch this more closely
0: yeah yeah it's a little bit like learning a language right you learn by doing it hmm
1: so well said so um, have
0: have you ever had any any mentors or like people who've guided you on on your business journey uh,
1: this is a great point um so you know i cannot tell you uh the value of a good mentor um, and we, we kind of touched on this with the angel investor a lot of people often look outside for inspiration but inside of your network there's probably some people there with some really sound advice. And then, so if you take a look at your network first, that's a great place to start. Then if you take a look at people who inspire you, you can find um, they're, a lot of them very approachable. For us, we had a mentor who really helped shape our thinking and really helped us turn the corner that first year. Without this person in the first year, I don't know if we would be having this conversation right now. Yeah. So, especially if you're by yourself or your team's small and you're making decisions on a daily basis that can make or break your baby. And it can be scary um, and it can be intimidating. So having a mentor or having someone to bounce ideas off of or just give you some basic feedback, I think is absolutely critical to, to you know, helping you accelerate or, or grow to your potential.
0: Yeah. Any suggestions for people who are looking for a mentor or just someone in general to learn from? I'm
1: happy to offer up uh, my experience. In the last few years, I've been trying to uh, work with some startups in the educational space. um, And for anyone out there considering it, I cannot strongly recommend giving back because in the last year, I've learned so much more by giving advice because I'm like, you know, you should be doing this. And then I look at my business. I'm like, hey, I'm not doing that. <laughs> so it's actually learning by teaching is a very effective way. So if anyone is looking for a mentor, please feel free to reach out to me. And if I can, I will help you in any way possible. Yeah,
0: well, that's really a really generous offer there. Um, at the end of this podcast interview, we will, you know, we will let people know how they can get in touch with you. Um, i had one or two more questions uh, first of all affiliate marketing how important has that been for you because like when you go to bake a language blog or to the big youtube channels you see actually people influencers recommending port 101 um, how important has that been for the business and also because we have many entrepreneurs listening to this many people who have an audience if they If they don't have a product themselves yet and uh, they're interested in promoting your product and what can they expect?
1: Yeah, uh, thank you for bringing this up. Um, We have a a very strong affiliate program. We give quite a nice, um, we do a nice, we do quite a nice split with uh, anyone who brings someone that eventually uh, winds up uh, or in the end purchases a subscription from us and Um, our conversion rates are increasing. And I think it's a very nice way for you to potentially start growing or start making some money from your hard work. Um, Especially for, there are a lot of languages where there are not a lot of products out there. And so there's a nice, a nice um, good amount of our products, for example, Bulgarian or Hebrew or Greek, smaller niche languages that could really um, I think you could do quite well on because there's not a lot of other products out there. And on the bigger products, some of our languages, uh, Japanese in particular, is quite strong. The product is very deep. Uh, we have some of our sites, we have thousands of lessons. So people find it quite compelling to learn in, um, with the system with a deep amount of content. So I think it's a good chance for them to, for anyone out there listening who wants to give it a try, Uh, please feel free to contact me or our affiliate team and we can set something up Um, and it's also very good to build relationships we have uh, feedback we can share ideas with you and work together with you so it's kind of we work towards building relationship
0: great well then I i have one more question and this is actually something that i sometimes struggle with myself the question is how do you know what to focus on next i mean you have this huge company you can add more languages you can build a following on even more platforms um you can create new products i mean what how do you how do you know how do you decide what you're going to focus on next this is like <laughs> the main struggle for us as, a, as an entrepreneur right we have no one who tells us who tells us what to do we have to we have to we have to decide for ourselves like do you have someone in your team who tells you what to do or are you really are you the one giving the the orders and uh, yeah. how do you make those decisions?
1: Wow, this is a tough one. Um, <laughs> yeah. There, there is no clear answer, right? Um, and I think at every stage that you are, much like it's much like life, at every stage you are, you're trying to make the most educated decisions with the analyzing the most information you have. So the more information you can get your hands on, or the more information and the more people you can talk to. Um, the better informed decisions you can make. So, um, you know, I I have seen the value in reaching out to other people in the language learning industry. I've seen the value in building these relationships and talking to people. And again, to take for a competitive person like myself, I think one of the biggest challenges was to see that value in relationship building rather than seeing someone just as a competitor because you're right. We're making decisions each day that can make or break. Now, I don't think all the decisions will make and break. I think there's a gray area, whether you choose A or B, you're going to be okay. But I think yeah, where you really want to focus and how you want to grow the company, you kind of analyze your information that you have, whether you're using for you. If you have a YouTube channel, whether your views are the most important thing, your trends are the most important thing. If you have an email, Um, if the number of emails. So you have these metrics that are important to you. Now, are you looking at the right metrics? I think you can read to get some information and insight from other people. Once I read something, then I go and ask someone. And not just people um, who I see as mentors, but other people in the industry. And I I, I often talk to lots of different people on the team. And I ask open-ended questions because... I don't, I may not have thought about it in the way they have. So I think you try to gather as much information as you can to make the best educated decisions you can.
0: So Peter, one more question, one final question. What is the biggest lesson, or what, what are some of the biggest lessons that you have learned in the last 15 years, building Language on One?
1: Never, never be afraid to ask. It seems so simple, but you know, we're taught in school to kind of, you know, think and always be right. And, you know, this ability to humble yourself and ask simple questions, I cannot tell you, this is one of the secrets to our our success. And just humbling yourself and asking questions that you even might know the answer to But hearing someone else, hearing their opinion, hearing their thought process without interjecting and listening with a clear mind, like actually trying to process what they say, not waiting to show them why they're wrong or tell them how they're missing the point. This is an invaluable skill. And unfortunately, most people were taught to You know, the best example, one of the better examples I can have is um, this this credit card auto-renew. And we had, uh, many years ago, debated whether to turn on auto-renew. And we had an internal debate among our teams without asking anyone else in our own little ivory tower. And our conclusion was we can't turn it on because customers would be very upset. As time went by, we turned on autoresponders. What do you think the first email was?
0: Well, it can either be a good thing or a bad thing. Let's go, let's be positive here. It was an email from a customer who said, Thank you. Now I don't have to, <laughs> to, 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 do, to go to the checkout page again. I don't need to give you my credit card details every, every quarter.
1: You're, you're good at this game. <laughs> you're. <laughs>
0: You want to play a game? <laughs>
1: Here we go. <laughs> so again, we we had overthunk it. We, we 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 made the mistake of thinking for other people, and it's a constant thing that happens in the world. People are thinking constantly for someone else, and you know, just ask a question and listen, and adapt accordingly. And there were, and it wasn't all one-sided. There were people who, are, who, were, not, who were unhappy, but most of the time if you address people properly in a timely manner most people are very happy that their voice has been heard that the money has been refunded and everything works out quite well so this ability to ask a question hi guys um you know i've been with your email marketing service for a year you know, I plan on being with the next year, uh, my volume's going to go up. I was, I was wondering, do you have any specials for a uh, long-term customer? I'm going to be a long-term customer. What do you mean, like a discount? Yeah, 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 you know, I, I'm just asking. Mm-hmm. You know, actually, yeah, we do. Let me talk, <laughs> uh, it, it, and it's like, you know, but most people think themselves out of it. Oh, no, 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 they're not going to make time for me. I nah, forget it, I'll put it in you know. So this ability to ask simple questions, humbly, listen along, it's it's invaluable. Yeah. Well,
0: thank you, Peter. Thank you for sharing that. If people want to know more about you and about the company, or if they have more questions about building a language business, where can they go?
1: Um, well, you can feel free to contact me on uh, LinkedIn, um, or uh, I believe we'll, we'll have a link or something to that, yeah. or you can email. Links will be in the show notes, yeah. And um, yeah, I think we could focus there. You know, I, I, you know, again, my message is that, and I hope we, I hope it was okay to keep this podcast kind of business focused, but I just yeah. think you're doing such a great thing for people out there. And you know, like I said, th- this is a tool I wish I had when I started to find people who can support each other because these are big life, life decisions. And I uh, know that you're out there, Introducing them to these different stories. So if I can help in any way. Please feel free to contact me if you have any questions about um, Your product that you would like me to take a look at I'm so happy to help if you want to learn more about our product, please come I'm, I'm happy to walk you through and um, Again affiliate anything very open door
0: Yeah, well Peter. Thank you. It was a great honor great pleasure to be able to uh, interview you here on the podcast i'm sure our listeners also enjoyed the interview so thank you very much i'm really looking forward to uh hopefully talk next time
1: well thank you so much and uh best of luck best of luck to everyone out there and uh stay safe great chatting with you
0: want to learn how you can grow your language business or maybe meet us at one of our upcoming events then go to our website langpreneur.com Thanks for listening and see you in the next episode.